Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing and National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering six conversations from episode 42, our review of last week's SLD Summit, plus from the vault, a conversation from what was called the NAFL Summit back in 2022. This conversation centers on the research that Sven Franke and his colleagues presented at the SLD Summit. Most of their research focused on portal pressures in pre-serotic patients, which exist sometimes even in patients with fibrosis levels as low as F0 or F1. Sven notes that while relatively few of these patients have elevations of 10 millimeters or more, which is what we normally consider the portal pressure boundary. A significant number of patients do have elevations from 5 to 9 millimeters of mercury, which might affect their health in more subtle ways. I ask about the impact of this work on how we treat patients today and in the future. Sven identifies several areas for future research that will help us answer that question better over time. As we move toward the end of this discussion, Louise Campbell asks a question about using NITs, notably VCTE, to check for pressures in these patients because some of her work, VCTE and biopsy and non-biopsy literature different results. Sven congratulations Louise on the question, indicates this might be a powerful area for future research, and with this, our session with Sven comes to the end. The SLD Summit 2023 revealed some of the new energy and areas for research brought about by the nomenclature change and presented existing new concepts for basic science and drug development, all of which promises a very exciting future for little researchers. These interviews with Sven Franke and Hannes Hockstrom capture some of the excitement and novel concepts, so just uh, sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Sven, what research did you share at the meeting? Sven Frank. We talked mainly about the vascular mechanisms. It's it's a long-standing interest of us. It's, it's studying how changes in the endothelial function, the not just endothelial, but the whole vascular biology of the liver is something that seems to occur already early in disease and probably contributes to, to disease evolution. And it, it's also for the whole spectrum. So it, it's also relevant once you get to the advanced stage of the disease and what we're still calling cirrhosis, where also the, the vascular mechanisms and the mechanisms of portal hypertension seem to be different in this disease if you compare it to alcoholic liver disease or, or viral liver disease. So we, in, in my talk and also uh, one of my uh, co-workers had an invited talk, we mainly discussed those vascular mechanisms and uh, Professor Pierre-Emmanuel Rotou from Paris uh, Bourgeon also discussed data, uh, clinical data on early signs of vas- uh, capillarization of the, the liver sinusoids in patients with, with uh, NAFLD NASH. So both the basic and the clinical data were covered. Uh, but we also presented some data on a cohort of uh, our center with about 126 or 25 patients that had portal pressure measurements by HVPG uh, from the whole spectrum. So not necessarily patients with, uh, with cirrhosis, showing that even in patients that do not have cirrhosis, you have patients with elevated portal pressures, even in F0 to F1. Now, the portal pressure is... Oh, really? Yeah. Portal pressure in these patients is only very rarely elevated above the 10 millimeters of mercury threshold for clinically significant portal hypertension. But they do have some degree of subclinical portal hypertension, meaning that there is an increase in their intrahepatic vascular resistance. And that is more pronounced once you get to the more advanced stage, but it's not restricted to patients with cirrhosis. And that it's not just 
a sampling variability issue of the liver biopsy. We also looked into other parameters and, and these patients clearly with elevated pressures for one or two exceptions where based on imaging you could success, uh, suspect the cirrhosis, but the other ones were clearly non-cirrhotic patients, also with other tools than just the liver biopsy. So you said more frequent than F0 or F1 even at the sub-10 millimeter level. What proportion of those patients exhibit signs of that at a sub-10 level? Well, if you put them into two categories and you separate the cirrhotic ones from the, the non-cirrhotic ones, in the non-cirrhotic ones it's about one out of three that has an elevation of portal pressure. But as I said, very rarely it's above the threshold of 10 millimeters of mercury. So about two-thirds they have normal portal pressure and one-third has an elevated portal pressure. When you look at the cirrhotic population, of course, the vast majority has some elevation of portal pressure and quite a substantial number has clinically significant portal hypertension. So let me ask my colleagues before I ask you, if you knew that uh, an earlier stage fibrosis patient had elevated but not 10 millimeter elevated portal hypertension, would that change at all how you thought about treating that patient or advising that patient? Jörn Schattenberg. That's the next step. I, I, I find these, uh, I found this data very interesting, Sven, I have to say congratulations. It addresses some of the pathophysiology of the disease that we don't understand well. I think with potentially fat, alternating blood flow, capillary blood flow is my understanding. Not sure what you think. It's not the same phenotype as we see in cirrhotics because there the distortion of the liver tissue is, of course, a, a, something to a much bigger extent. But it could be a subgroup of patients that has a different prognosis or different treatment options. And that's where you are coming in, Roger. I would think, yes, this is something that should be corrected if it's pathophysiologically relevant to these patients. The question is, how do we assess this non-invasively? It brings us back to an old discussion in the MASLD field. Yeah, I think Jorn is absolutely right to the Diagnosing this clinically is for sure challenging. Personally, what I take from the research that we have been doing so far is that these mechanisms are probably contributing to, to disease evolution. And we should not forget that also, uh, Roger, you talked about viral hepatitis, and we know that if you have viral eradication, there is a tremendous improvement and, and regression or even disappearance of fibrosis. But what has also been shown is that some aspects of alterations of the liver vasculature, like the capillarization of the endothelium, is something that tends to persist even if fibrosis regresses. Uh, so it's a kind of lesion that seems to be more resistant to regression in other diseases. It has not been studied so far in FLD space or the, the MASLD space. But we should be careful because we've seen with tackling the metabolic drivers of the disease that you have a substantial or you can have a substantial improvement. But not all patients respond, and especially when you have more advanced fibrosis. With the pure metabolic approach, you don't see any significant results on regression of fibrosis, probably less progression. So there is also a signal, I think, on fibrosis, but not very strong on the regression of fibrosis. So we should, we should really make sure that we are not overseeing changes that are probably not so reversible as some of the other aspects of the disease are. Another aspect, and it was touched upon a little bit by uh, Arun Sanyal, who gave an excellent talk on the first day on NASH cirrhosis or MASH cirrhosis and the challenges we have. And he also tackled the aspect of vascular lesions in these patients. He even said that he, he tended to start thinking that MASH cirrhosis was a vascular liver disease. 
disease, showing the importance of the of the vascular mechanism. But he also showed the data that has been gathered by uh, groups where we also participated that the portal pressure in, as I said already, the mechanism looks a little bit different and there might be a pre-sinusoidal component to the portal hypertension, making HVPG even underestimating a little bit the real portal pressure in the patients with cirrhosis because we could document that for the same amount of uh, elevation of portal pressure as measured by HVPG, uh, you have a higher rate of decompensation and mainly ascites in patients with the mesh cirrhosis. And also a study in TIPS, uh, but that was not a study where we participated, showed that there was some disagreement between HVPG measurement and direct portal pressure measurement at the moment of the placement of a TIPS in patients with mesh cirrhosis, which was not the case in patients with viral hepatitis-related cirrhosis or alcohol-related cirrhosis. Pointing again towards the fact that, uh, and Jorn rightfully says, once you once you get to cirrhosis anyhow, there is an important distortion of the architecture, including the vascular architecture, but it does not seem to be completely the same in mesh cirrhosis compared to those uh, classical sinusoidal portal hypertension etiologies. So I understand that your uh, graduate student research Researchers will have a lot of work to do in their careers. Yeah? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I'm a little bit biased because it's my topic for many, for many years. Yeah, but, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important topic. But it's a fascinating right. topic, yeah. Either of you folks have any questions or, first of all, Sven, as, as, as you already said about your work, congratulations on a fantastic meeting and, and, and I think really broadening the boundary, a program that broadened the boundaries. Okay, thank you. Nice to hear that. For future events. I thought that, that was fantastic. You are Louise. Louise Campbell. I did have a question. Sven, have you done fasting, non-fasting fiber scans in that? population. The reason I ask that is we used to do a real-time fiber scan clinic and only bring the ones back who had elevated KPA. And when we reviewed them, the average movement in the KPAs was 4.5 kilopascals. And, and it was actually around 100 in the 1,000 patients. And the CAP score moved 0.08. But in some of those that we looked at, at who'd had the kilopascals shifted where they'd had a biopsy they only had sinusoidal changes so you it looked like the potential to detect that mild gradient shift with kilopascals which is a pressure measurement and as we know the liver shouldn't stiffen up when we eat the blood flow should still be nice and soft throughout the liver but it appears it's whether or not you can detect it in fasting non-fasting because you actually increase the peripheral the blood flow and the peripheral resistance uh, I, I must say louise this is an excellent idea that you bring up we didn't check that we do the fiber scans always in the fasting condition what we did check several years ago was just in in those with what that was in healthy controls what the difference was and, and you have a small difference of one to up to three maximum kilopascals but it might be indeed that this might be more pronounced in the, this population due to the sinusoidal alterations yeah it's absolutely we didn't investigate it but it's an excellent idea but as Jorn said we are we're absolutely struggling with how we can have let's say quite accessible safe easy tools to measure something like that because yeah we did it with HVPG measurements and that that's all very nice but that's not something you can apply to routine clinical practice it helps us generating these data and advances the, the research but yeah it's not something you can do later on in routine clinical practice that's for sure no it's an excellent idea thanks and now back to roger 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our first round of individual interviews and we'll announce our subjects and topics early in the week. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.